Hello, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we talk about trailers, movies, TV shows, and anything on screen. I'm Emmett, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ivan. We'll be looking at The Mandalorian, Chapter 16, Season 2, Episode 8, The Rescue. Right to the point with that title. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious. They've been obvious so far. Uh, why, why change the trend, you know? Any, any news for this week? Um, last week was a big news week. There was there was a couple things that kind of go on, but I think the most prominent one, oddly enough, I guess for us, is the passing of Jeremy Bullock, who was actually yeah. the original actor to portray Boba Fett um, in the original movie. Um, I yes. think he was the voice, right? I think he he, but he was the the character actor for him. He was the the the, yeah, the, the body. I don't think he was the voice. It's kind of tough to tell because when you look up Boba Fett, there's like 15 people credited, so. It is sad to see, you know, another original cast member go, but uh, it's also kind of nice to see that his character is definitely getting a lot of love um, throughout this season and by a lot of new fans and, and old fans, too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 2020 is still striking in the last few weeks here, but he was a very nice guy. I think I, I had like a five minute interaction with him at a Comic-Con a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He was one of those guys that. Uh, they didn't have too much of a line like he you know like well if, if you ever gone to a comic convention there's always like certain celebrities that will have a huge line and you have to reserve your time with them for like a while so you got to like basically say i'm going to wait in line for three or four hours for them <laughs> but this guy he he had a decent sized line a lot of people were on there to have him sign stuff and usually folks have like a limitation they're like oh 60 dollars per signature on a different item and he wasn't like that i think it was like a flat fee and he would take a picture with you sign as many things as he wanted like you wanted him to sign but he he was he was a nice guy and i think he had a really good reputation around the fan community too as being the kind of guy that goes out of his way to treat anybody that's kind of at a convention for him with um a lot of respect so yeah it's Nice to see too, and like he gets so much love because I think he just looks so cool in the movies. But he he got what like six minutes of screen time between all the movies he was in. Yeah, but so he had some. There's something to his silhouette, right? It's like the same thing as Tamara Morrison. Like you immediately get the Django vibe from him. Yeah, Jeremy Bullock is the guy that established that lone ranger cowboy kind of thing for Boba Fett. He will be missed for sure. And then I think on top of that, they also announced that they're doing a series for boba fett called the book of boba which we'll get into more later because that's part of this episode but you know again nice to see he's getting a lot of love his character kind of a surprise for us right because like this definitely um they said something around 10 star wars series for the next five years at the (laughs) disney investor call i know they didn't even mention this one though so yeah that was a little odd that like i guess they knew they were gonna give it as a like as a gift bag sort of thing for this episode. So maybe they didn't want to steal the thunder. Yeah, that that might've been it. I know there was like controversy over whether Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian had walked off the season two set or something. I'd like, there's a lot of things going on with like gossip. Politics. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, from, from what I hear, it's going to be two separate shows. So it's going to be Mando season three and, and book of Boba. And they may be running around the same time. We don't know yet. We're just going to wait and see when the official channels just kind of confirm all that stuff. Can't wait. <laughs> Simple as that. But let's uh, let's not wait to talk about this episode. Let's get into uh, into some scenes. Can we start with the opening one, the intercepting of Dr. Perishing? So we got confirmation that he's a cloner. So great spot by you, 
on the sigil on his arm. What episode? That was like the second or third episode of the season when they showed him. Or actually, you, you dug back into the first season to, to spot that. Yeah, he's been wearing that logo since um, whenever he made his first appearance back in episodes, episode, episode one last season, I think. Now, is that the sigil of Camino, or just like he's just a cloner, like in the business of? So the the Kaminoans, those long, tall, very long Kaminoans, yeah, they they uh they had that sigil on their on their shoulders, and the clones had it, um, in when whenever we would visit um Camino in Clone Wars, their uniforms would have that sigil on the shoulder. So oh, okay. I think it's just like an overall generic cloner kind of thing logo. I don't really know. Yeah, but this thing really stuck out to me in such a jam-packed episode. This scene specifically stuck out to me just because, like, I loved that that conversation and that interaction between Cara Dune and the Imperial pilot who shot his own man, a little friendly fire there. But I like it just builds upon what we were talking about last week where you almost, like, empathize with the imperial side where it's like regardless of who's on the right or the wrong side of the war everyone's lost millions you know each side has lost so many like car mocks him by like oh which death star were you on and he mocks her by like oh your home planet alderaan's gone but it's like they both are hurting from that which just like entrenches them further into their side but it just shows like they both have something to be you know passionate about they were both played by the same guy and then neither of them really realizes it and i think that's the tragedy of this whole thing right like even back to the clone wars like palpatine had his hand on the separatists and the republic and then now he has his hand on the galactic um rebellion and the, the empire yeah and it's like it's just so real world that i like like i don't know if you've ever watched um band of brothers but yep there's a great interview, like the last episode is just interviews with the actual um, Easy Company, where they're like, yeah, I mean, we were all doing our job, and who knows, like in different circumstances, maybe we could have been friends. Like, I'm sure they had similar interests as us, which is just like, Kara and this guy could have been friends if they weren't fighting each other or weren't stuck in a war, you know? It's like that story from... Christmas and World War Two in in Germany. I think it was right. World War Two. It could be something where like the soldiers stopped for one night just to both, I guess, enjoy the company of of, of between themselves. So yeah. yeah, it's like it's like the the tragedy of war, the 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 awful, I guess, um, misleading, I guess, of of folks too, because it, it's it's also this thing of like I sympathize with with the folks that I guess are like believe very passionately in something that's at at the fundamental side of it, a, a total lie. Yeah, and it's it's not even like I don't know if they believe in their cause or they're just following orders and then witnessing these like crimes and these you know horrific sites of war. Does that drive them further into like, well, if they're doing that, then we must be on the good side. You I know? think there's like a human component of like the like seeing like I think everybody kind of has this inkling of like you have to do terrible things sometimes to get certain things done. But I think that at moments the lines are blurred and you just don't know whether what you're doing is actually the right thing or not and i feel like with the imperials it's always like it's all about order they like emphasize that word throughout the whole franchise so i feel like it's folks that i guess think they're doing the right thing right it's kind of like for home and country kind of thing yeah and, you know you're you're 
it, it all depends on who's on the who's on leadership right there. Like, are you actually guiding people to something that's worth it or not? Yeah. And I, I, I guess just to sum up my thinking is that I just like getting more of a human element to it as opposed to like the original trilogy or whatever, where it's you just get the blanket statement for good guys, bad guys. Um, they must all be evil. So I like what Filoni and Favreau are doing here where they're diving a little bit deeper. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so then they, they the next scene, they, they have a meeting with Bo-Katan. Uh, glad to see them go back to her because they're kind of just assembling this crew to, to pull off this heist. Um, Boba definitely doesn't like being called a clone, so watch what you say around him. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, was a little out of the blue, right? Sparked a pretty big fight there. Um, Yeah, I don't know if it was out of the blue, but I guess it definitely wasn't on our radar for predictions that they wouldn't get along. Um, But it definitely makes sense. I mean, from everything we've seen, the armor is something to be sacred, and it's also something that you're supposed to earn. So if that's his father's armor, I kind of get where Bo-Katan is coming from. You kind of get like a purist vibe from her in a way. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Like I remember, like in Clone Wars, there was a distinction between Death Watch and Mandalore itself, and like the Night Owls, which is the group that she was a part of. But it almost seems like the the concept of foundlings is more of a thing for Death Watch or the Watch more than it is for Prime. Um, I guess like anybody that's tied to a major clan in Mandalore. Yeah, I don't know the details about that. I I thought foundlings were okay everywhere, but maybe it's just like he is literally wearing his father's armor that he just like repurposed. And then also that like there's an element of him not being human just because he's a clone. Yeah, I guess she kind of like uses it as a jab as him being less than maybe. Especially like he's since not a legitimate clones son. Are, especially since the clones are best known for their betrayal of the Jedi. <laughs> Right, and pretty much the whole galaxy. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but other than that, they're fine. I've heard your voice thousands of times. I'm like, damn, okay. <laughs> but yeah, just for also for like anyone who doesn't remember or can't or is like having trouble piecing it together, Boba is yes, he is a clone. He is a direct copy of Django, who asked for an unaltered clone, basically to raise as a son, but it's essentially himself. Yeah, Jango was a template for the clone army for the Clone Wars. But they they adjusted him a little bit. Um, that's explored in the Clone Wars series, where it's like to keep up to reduce his like aggression or his like inability to follow orders or something like that. This was just like a pure carbon copy of himself. So that's why his voice sounds like all the other clones. I wonder, you know, now that we have him in play here, like I want, I really want to see. Tamora Morrison come back and play other clones in this in this show. That would be cool. Yeah. Like give me an old Captain Rex. <laughs> yeah, I would I would love to see that. Or like just maybe yeah, something like where are they now kind of a tie into a plot, but that might get a little messy uh for fans to keep up with. You gotta admit ca- that like, casual fans. Tamora Morrison's voice is one of the most like coolest Iconic. sounding th- yeah. Yeah. Like I would love for like I get up every morning and like my morning is narrated by Tamora Morrison's voice. <laughs> <laughs> He's up there with Morgan Freeman. 
and voice quality. All right, well, let's not push it. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Um, but amidst the uh, trash talking, you get a nice back to tank reference, which uh, for those who don't remember, that's like the healing water tank that uh, Luke was in during, what was it, Empire Strikes Back, right? Uh, after or during Planet Hoth. Yeah, he's in there twice, I think, all throughout yeah. Empire. He just, uh, yeah, he kept going for a dip. Every time I think of Bacta tanks, I always think of those little bottles of Bacta that you need to collect in Battlefront, the old Battlefront 2, so you can heal again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Man, Where's Mando, bro? Where's Mando Dude, or whatever? We, I don't, I know he has a name, I just don't forget. I, I, don't remember. <laughs> I, I didn't know what you meant by that note, but now I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, I don't know what happened to the, the third of their party, which makes me wonder, did he survive? Whatever their their next mission was, he was not fit for this um, this particular mission. Maybe he's on a, a, another side quest, or he's misogynist and did not want to take a mostly female driven uh, rescue group. <laughs> you know, I I appreciate that because I loved the girl squad. I didn't even realize that was the case until like really the mission. <laughs> that was like I noticed, which I might like... say more about me, but. <laughs> I was just like, oh, damn, they're kicking ass. And I was like, oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> All right. You don't have to, you don't have to show up. Show me up there. <laughs> this, this was a cool interaction, though. Like, and I think that it kind of fed in more with like some of the stuff you were talking about before where Bo-Katan, I, I, and I think you were pressing on this more than I was in terms of like, she seems a little shady. And I thought I wasn't really getting all that much vibes from the from the first appearance. I thought maybe she was just a little bit standoffish, but her whole group is a little odd, right? Because like they start by insulting <laughs> Amando and Boba, getting yeah. into a quick, a quick fight, and then Bo-Katan's like, wait, we gotta be more calm-headed. And I was like, you guys kind of started that whole argument. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, and also that she's like, no, we can't help you, period. We have our own missions to do. And then she's, she's like, wait, Moth Gideon's there? All right, I'll come. Like, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. until something that could, like, serve her purpose was she on board. So, yeah, I think this is definitely something I want them to explore in season three. They cast her partner very well, too. Um, the Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know her actual name, but, like, her ring name of Sasha Banks, because I know she's in WWE. Um, but she she plays it really well. She's got the very like tough girl kind of attitude, but very much like um like she she looks like she can kick anyone's butt. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it because it's a V H, but uh, it's like Vote Turvo or something like that. Is that what is that what her name is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I could pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, they they casted her well. I really liked her. Um, and I like the whole sequence there of of their little back and forth uh, fighting both physical and, you know, just the jabs at each other. Disney's got uh, a good track record of uh, hiring wrestlers and kind of playing up to their strengths. Cause then you got Dave Batista playing um, Drax and guardians. I thought he was perfectly cast there. And then now yeah. here. Isn't Cara Dune. Isn't her. Wasn't she She's, also. In wrestling? I think or, she was MMA. Or UFC MMA. Was she MMA? Or UFC? She, she's, she's one of those. I don't All know. in a ring, you know, she was a fighter. She, you know, she, she can take, she can take any dude down. Let's talk about the the breakout planning session. The we got the confirmation on the Gen Three Dark Troopers, so we did we did well there in in matching it to the chart. 
that we were looking at. But uh, so there's no humans in the dark troopers, just droids. But I was a little surprised to see how helpful Dr. Pershing was in the planning. I thought maybe he'd be like a little bit, you know, more resistant, need like pushing to get there. Or I thought maybe he was like just lying and setting up a trap. But it turns out he was just giving up good intel. No, I, I think he seemed, and even in the first season, right, he begged Mando not to kill the child, thinking that he was there to kill the kid. Mm. I think he's always been the good guy, but just, like, maybe fell under bad circumstances or is, like, being forced to serve them. I kind of liken him to, like, the like the post-World War II mad Nazi scientist folks that, like, there's folks that just didn't really want to do what they were doing, but they were forced into that kind of situation. Yeah, maybe just like more of a student and servant to sciences as opposed to whichever side is funding it kind of thing. That and subservient to like a really, really bad extent. Yeah, I do see that. But it's just interesting that he's like, here's how you here's exactly how you get there. Here's where he's being held here. Like, (laughs) here's all the secrets of the dark troopers. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was like too helpful. Maybe he recognizes Boba's ship. Like, if Boba captured me, I'd give up everything. Right now, I'd be like, all right, here's my corporate login. (laughs) Here's my bank account and social security number, man. Just, like, let me go. Yeah. But then they actually execute the plan by uh, landing on the cruiser. The whole Their plan, I mean, was kind of basic. So I was, and I was also surprised to see that the, the cruiser wasn't on more of a high alert after Mando's message from the end of last episode. But it worked. It got him on. Got him on board. That storming of the of the ship was really was really cool. It was a basic plan, like you said, because it's basically like, hey, we'll provide the distraction. You go in and, you know, get the kid. We're just going to crash land right into the hangar. We'll take out everybody. That's the plan. And then you go off and do your own thing. They literally <laughs> killed everybody, I think, right? Throughout that whole series. Yeah. And not one shot was landed on them, so... They really got it. Oh, you know what? It's too late for that. Their resources are depleted at this point. <laughs> but I don't know if you caught it. The sound of Bo-Katan's blaster, like, was mixed into the whole fight. So we would get, like, some of Cardoon shooting, some of uh, Fennec, and then you would hear Bo-Katan. And her blaster was exactly the same uh, same sound as Django's. Yeah, I always found that a little weird, because Django's pistols are very, like new millennia kind of feeling they're very Um, distinguished from other blasters yeah and then the ones for the mandos are like pistols that are very blocky yep so they're definitely different models but i i I like that that there's at least some consistency in in mandalorian (laughs) weaponry i guess yeah i really like that but this is this is where the girl squad kicked butt um i didn't think i didn't think they were like overpowered they i mean they obviously wiped out you know, several squads of stormtroopers, but it didn't feel like a way where they were out of their element, you know, where it didn't make sense. Girls get it done, man. Girls get they it do. done. They get it done better than, than the boys can. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I felt like this scene, and, and I think it kind of, I honestly didn't realize it until halfway through the sequence that I was like, oh yeah, these are all female characters. But one of the things that I, you know, kind of called back on, I guess, for me, 
I really think that this show has done a good job of balancing out the diversity in its cast, but also kind of like playing up to the strengths of every character. So yes, these female characters were all storming this base, but at no point that was I left scratching my head and being like, oh, she shouldn't be able to pull off this because it doesn't seem like she's had training in this or this person doesn't see, doesn't normally specialize in this. So why is why are they acting in this manner? It was very much like a fleshed out team of like total badasses, just like storming in, taking names, getting the job done. Yeah, I think this is definitely a great model for how shows and movies should be casted moving forward. Um, you know, cast the right person and let them let their skills all that that they would bring from off screen. Just let them put it on screen, and it's gonna make sense. This was, um, I think, not to kind of like hammer away at it, right? But I feel like this and a couple other things in this episode kind of remind me of why I feel like this, these two seasons have been very good of fleshing things out. And it's that we have this thing in, in, in filmmaking where we always say show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, and that's that. And that was my big issue with um, stuff like. Last Jedi. Yeah, like, like, like Rise of Skywalker last jedi any of that like i i felt like there was um a lot of expository dialogue or like the need to kind of tell you something tell you a message instead of letting you kind of figure it out for yourself well it's also a matter of time too if you're limiting yourself to 35 or 45 minutes in this case for an episode you need to be very careful with how you use those minutes you can't just waste it on dialogue that doesn't add to anything there was one in this in this episode that i'll call out later um but if if you can budget your time well and show as opposed to wasting time on useless dialogue it it's what makes the pacing of this show so much better yeah it it, like the, the time is utilized a lot better in this but also like i feel like whether it's a movie or a show, like the show don't tell rule is very, very prominent when your story is like as good as it can kind of be. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump ahead to Mando's mission. So while the girls are storming the bridge and uh, taking control of the ship, Mando is off fighting the or trying to hold back the dark troopers and then ultimately find Grogu. I don't know if the best play was to jettison the dark troopers just because they're you know they're droids so they don't need oxygen so it's not like as if you sent stormtroopers out right yeah i kind of i thought for a moment that it might have been a a little bit anticlimactic because like he takes on one and has a hard time that, that whole little sequence there is very good in setting up the fact that these guys are a threat yeah tenfold but after he jettisoned them out <laughs> i thought for a minute i was like well that was anticlimactic like we spent half of the show or half of the season <laughs> you thought that was it we weren't gonna see them again part of me did think we weren't gonna see them again because there like, was a brief moment where i was like oh they're gone but then i was like wait they're droids they can also fly so they're probably just going right to the bridge <laughs> yeah I, I i forgot they had a whole iron man moment when they kidnapped uh, <laughs> grogu so i was like oh yeah that's right they could probably pulls himself back into the ship yeah and this next point too i've also i've only got to watch the episode once today so i definitely want to go back and re-watch dr perishing's dialogue but i would i would like more details on them 
maybe just from I I just need to do research, but why are they under coolant? They like they I I heard him say that like they had to they couldn't draw too much power to them all the time, but why wouldn't the fire be as effective if they had to be cooled off? Yeah, I'm a little so. So I I thought originally they were gonna go with like, oh, they're actually made out of Beskar, and that's why I thought so too. Yeah, because like it seems like blaster bolts bounced off of them from the few that Mando shot at them. Yeah, and then whatever the you know the the metal components inside were pretty resistant to the whistling birds and to the flamethrower. Yeah, I kind of so some of the dialogue I thought was maybe hinting at the fact that there's like like human components inside of the of the dark troopers but i don't think that's the case at all i think so they're 100 droid because he was like dr perishing was like yeah the weak like chain in the link was the human element now they're completely automated i think this episode might have made the case that maybe you do need the human element because like these guys were moving very slowly and like not really thinking anything <laughs> Yeah, it's why Iron Man was better than the the drone hammer suits. In, yeah, the hammer tech. A drone is better. <laughs> Ivan. <laughs> um, but I am happy. I liked the fight with Moff Gideon. Not to blow past the use of the Beskar spear on the Dark Trooper, but jumping ahead to Moff Gideon. I liked the exchange there. I thought the dialogue that he gave, like, he was obviously telling the entire truth because anything less than that, like, will come off as inauthentic or you could call him out on it. But it seemed like he was like, okay, I'll make a deal for my life, for your life. I already got what I needed out of Grogu. Take him and go. Yeah, I, at first glance, I thought, oh, damn, why, why are you turning his back? You're back on him. But at the same time, it's like the guy's decked out in pure Beskar steel. Like, even his jetpack is made out of Beskar steel. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you're fine. <laughs> um,. I really, yeah, I really. Did you see the strike it. coming? Did you think that Moff Gideon was gonna yeah. swing it? Uh, okay. Yeah, hundred percent. I bought into him not doing it. I thought it was like Gus Fring. <laughs> no, I think he's. At the end of the day, he seems to be like a, a fanatic. So I don't think he really wanted to get caught. Also, like he he was proposing something that was basically non-existent. Right, like how, like even if Mando left the ship. 100% Bo-Katan would not agree to that. It would go after him anyway. I thought they both would leave the ship. Not together, but like... He obviously... As, like, as he said... Assume I know everything. So he knows that Mando is a man of his word. So I think he was trying to like strike a deal where it's like... You get out of here, I get out of here. We go our separate ways. We both get what we want at the end of the day. And when Mando agreed to it, then he was like, okay, I got him. Moff really comes up across to me as the way that Thrawn came across to me in Rebels. where And, and by that, I mean, like... He highly has, intelligent. Yeah, he's highly intelligent. He kind of knows the situation even as it's kind of developing. So I, I, I kind of thought that he had, like, an alternative plan here to kind of get away. But it seems like his whole thing was to try and get into the head of Mando and his group but the but to, before i move into that <laughs> segment of it um the fight <laughs> that was really good but not not yeah, just i like, liked it a choreograph. lot like you, you did you notice that we had a little bit of a uh game of thrones choreography thrown yeah. in there <laughs> with the kicking of the spear 
kicking of the spear. I thought all his spear movements were really good. And I didn't, I know we had like predicted it or maybe asked for it. I don't really know what the right term is there, but we thought he would get some sort of training with it. But I think he's just such a like master of arms that he was comfortable with it. And I was okay with that. Yeah. So he got referred to as a decommissioned Mandalorian headhunter in season one. So from from the lore perspective, I guess, or from any kind of background, that wouldn't mean that he's trained in pretty much every weapon that he can get his hands on. It, it made sense to me. Like I, I didn't really think too much of it, um, just because it seems like this guy is like a made killer with a heart. <laughs> with a heart, with a moral compass. He's a soft boy inside, as we saw <laughs> at the end of the <laughs> But so what kind of surprised me was the fact that um, the fight didn't last as long as I thought it was going to last. And then also he spared his life. He spared Moff's life, which I guess I can kind of see why. Right. Because like Kara, uh, Kara Dune, uh, Bo-Katan was like, oh, he's mine. So maybe he was just trying to like please her on it. But I thought for sure he was going to just end up killing him during the fight. Yeah, I don't see him as, like, an unnecessary killer. I think he only kills if he needs to, to get out of a situation. So uh, I don't think it's completely out of his character. Well, but the two stormtroopers standing guard at the, at the prison cell, he stabbed one right through the chest. Then, like, the other guy, instead of just knocking him out with it, ended up breaking his neck with the spear. So it's just kind of like, all right, he's in killer mode right now. Well, they didn't have plot armor protecting them. They just had regular armor. They had ABS plastic armor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think he did also owe, you know, uh, Bo-Katan and Cara Dune a piece of Moff Gideon. So I don't think he, I think that was definitely a factor into it. And Gideon definitely played him with that too, because he knew, he well knew that, you know, Mando was probably not as cultured into the Mandalorian customs as Bo-Katan would be. So, Mm -hmm. I have a theory of all that, in, in the, that I'll get to when we talk about the bridge scene. But um, anyway, the fight was great. It was nicely choreographed. I like that they ended up using the spear that they planted on earlier in the season. Um, and, and I like the buildup to everything because I feel like it, the payoff seems very well deserved. Yeah, and I think we get also get like an unofficial confirmation that using the blood was for cloning or reproducing palpatine just by like the the timeline that we're in the m count blood you're using a cloner palpatine was a clone in the end and also that like the words that he chooses to use there, like bringing back like a the world order kind of thing uh which has been used for describing palpatine's vision so i think and the final order Right. So I don't super super final mega ultra final order. This is the final final order. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I think we the fans get a little bit of a nice confirmation there that's like implied. Yeah. Do do you feel like you need more out of that, or do you feel like you're satisfied with what we got this um, with that? Like, do you think that we we can infer what he was kind of talking about, or would you rather they kind of go out out of their way and explore? Exactly yeah, I what mean, the project is. I'll always want last episode, season uh, episode seven of season two, to have had like five minutes or a couple minutes of 
Gideon talking with Pershing, like ordering him to come back to his ship. So that would explain why Pershing was on the move in the beginning of this episode. And I would have liked a little conversation of like maybe mentioning Sev or like some name that like relates to, you know, Palpatine that not many people would know. So it'd be a little bit of Easter egg. So I, I don't think the issue is like within this episode, but ultimately I, I liked this payoff of Gideon. We didn't assume that he was the top baddie. We always thought there was like a Thanos level above him. Um, so I, I'm okay with him just kind of being like progressing the story on the Empire side. And then I also enjoyed the fight. I think he held his own, but he's also not a trained killer assassin. So I wouldn't expect him to win the fight with Mando. It kind of makes me question how he won the sword to begin with. Though. <laughs> right? I think he probably had like several friends help him out on that fight probably but then like it wouldn't technically be his still so then bo-katan shouldn't have an issue with that any claim to the throne after yeah it's definitely a confusing ownership of the sword because did she lose it before gideon took it from her or did gideon just seize it as the empire seized mandalore the planet so I don't know if she was like truly defeated in combat, because then why would she be walking around free? It could be that she surrendered, right? And that was just basically it, like oh surrender or your people kind of die scenario. Yeah, maybe. So let, let I guess with that, let's talk about the bridge scene, because like Mando arrives in that scene mm-hmm. with uh, obviously with with Gideon in handcuffs. Um, yep. Who knows where he found the handcuffs? Because there were only child size handcuffs in that cell. <laughs> um, but one, one size fits all. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But he he, he brings him into the bridge where um, you know Kara, Fennec, and um, the Mandos have taken over the the bridge. Obviously, they didn't find Gideon, uh, but they seem to have clapped everybody on that bridge, including um, the uh, dollar store Brie Larson, who was playing the. Um, imperial officer over there yeah rest in peace to her she was the mvp of that bridge 100 percent. she got a few speaking lines and then we didn't even see her die you see her corpse in (laughs) she's on the bottom left corner of the shot when they bring him in i was looking out for her i was like where is she did she survive i hope she survived no she didn't she's she's dead i do like that moth was like whenever we get to the bridge you'll see that they have already killed everyone because they're murderers and thugs. And like, it wasn't just him being like on the opposite side saying that it was like, yeah, be wary of Bo-Katan. She is definitely self-serving here. He definitely doesn't like the Mandalorian culture. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. But I am, I'm glad they finally explained the importance of the dark saber. I think it was done in a way where you don't need to see the Clone Wars series to know the background. I mean, obviously it helps out and knowing the ancestral history line of it and whose hands it changed to and whatnot, but they do such a good job of summing it up in just, you know, like a couple sentences and just a couple looks between characters. Yeah. They only ever give you enough so that, you know, just enough for you to get through the scene and through, whatever they need you to know here, right? They, they never delve too much into it. And that that's what I kind of like about this series. And I mentioned this before, but like, I feel like the expository dialogue is very, I think it's very bulky and sometimes brings down scenes. It, it's better to just kind of let the audience know what they need to know, move on. 
when he arrived with the saber ignited, <laughs> I uh, immediately kind of recalled our conversation about you saying that Bo-Katan seems a little crazy in episode three, yeah. uh, episode three of this season. And because she gives this look of like, what happened? And she's she, why, she, why are you holding that? <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly what she meant. Right. It's like, why? Why do you have my sword? Basically? Yeah, I said he was mine. What part yeah. of his mind did you not get? <laughs> <laughs> but Mando doesn't understand that he he thinks is you know he just beat this guy in a fight and he's bringing the prisoner over to the person who's gonna you know deal with him and yeah, it's, it's just, not that it's, it's odd because it's not like it's the dark saber actually possesses power it's the symbol of it being power so it's not like the elder wand in Harry Potter where like you have to kill or disarm the former owner for you to own it it's it's all to do with the story um which i kind of thought was like mando has the best story he's traveled the galaxy as a bounty hunter cleaning up the galaxy he is part of the watch so he's going to be able to unite the you know the division of mandalore culture where some people have gone extreme into the watch and then, which are like more militant, and then some people have remained like we would just want to be this peaceful. Um, I forget the word. They just want yeah. their planet back, right? So he he's gonna be like a nice bridge between the two. So I still think that's kind of where season three is going, but yeah, it's interesting to to see this play out and see everyone's kind of like true intentions come come to fruition here. I feel like I need. I need to to have them kind of like uh, basically give us a clear rundown of what the rules are when it comes to the dark saber, you know. And I'll, and I'll get a little expository here, <laughs> um, but like in in Rebels, in the show Rebels, so t- taking place between the New Hope and um, and Revenge of the Sith, we get to see a version of a Mandalorian civil war, and in that, one of the protagonists of the show, Sabine who is a heir to, I believe, Clan Wren from Mandalore, mm-hmm. ends up winning the Darksaber back from... From Darth Maul. From da- well, that's the thing, right? She gets it from his like collection of things from this... Uh, Actually, from this- Ezra gets it, and yeah, then he okay. gives it to her. Yeah, but, so, but basically my point is she ends up handing it over to, to Bo-Katan, and she accepts it. And takes the blade, right? So she she becomes leader of Mandalore. Yeah, there's. It's a little weird on the. I have a theory on that, but I don't. I don't like. I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling on this thread too much, right? But like, I feel like it was weird for her to have accepted it at that point. And at this point, Mando gives her, or I guess we should start calling him Din, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Din gives her the lightsaber, the dark saber, and she refuses to accept it because it's not. You know, to Gideon, Marv Gideon's point, he need she needs to win it in a fight against him. And I love how nonchalant he is. He's like, "All right, cool, I yield. I, I don't want it. You can take <laughs> right. it." Right. Here's a solution. It's kind of yeah, like, I don't want to fight you. You would win. Yeah. Here you go. It's like he he doesn't. I guess he also doesn't really understand the value of what he holds because he doesn't really want it. You know, he kind of reminds right. me of a Jon Snow type character in that type of situation, but. For her to, the only reason I can think of that she accepted it before and isn't accepting it in this terms is because before, in the show, in Rebels, she accepted the sword in front of 
a whole bunch of high members of different clans. And they yeah, were and all, they all said, like, we'll follow you. Yeah. So I guess now it's like, oh, only her, like, trusted um, person, her the other Mando she has with her, is there to witness um, her getting that blade. So other people may not buy into the fact that it's hers. Yeah. It's definitely weird. I That's why I want them to ex- explore it a little bit more, because she could have easily just been like, thank you with this, I'll lead, or whatever, like. It would have been fine because they're never going to see Moff again. Only the people who know how it was exchanged are in this room. I had this. Um, I was reading a couple. Uh, I was I was reading this uh, biography on on U.S. presidents a couple a couple weeks ago, and I had this line that said that the best leaders are the f- folks who don't actually want the power or responsibility, but think that yeah. they can find a solution to things. And John so, Snow. <laughs> John Snow. But, like, in this case, it brings me back to the conversation you and I had, because you were, like, very adamant about the fact that you thought Mando was eventually going to join this cause of, like, liberating Mandalore, and you thought that that was, he was probably the best suited person for the role. And, yeah, I I think you're right. I think in this circumstance, he has the experience to, you know, he's led a diverse group of people, I guess, throughout the two seasons that we've seen. And he's not an ideology out. For the first time, too, he doesn't have another mission or another quest (laughs) you know it's like he's finally completed chapter one and now it's like okay you have a totally new set of directions here um where there's more possibilities so i think it makes sense his skills with the spear are so sick i can't wait to see what his skills are with a dark saber (laughs) what if he goes with grogu to learn how to fight like a jedi there's part of me that wanted him to end up being like force sensitive or something, and he kind of gets trained. No, that would have been too cheesy. Yeah, it would have been too much. But I also like the Mandalorian thing, like the their weapons and everything are to counter force users. So just they having him learn lightsaber fighting would be great. Yeah, they should study it. I also thought all of these problems were going to be solved because Moff Gideon shot Bo-Katan point blank probably twenty times. <laughs> <laughs> How did he not hit in between armor plates once? Okay, not to revisit the same point that I've kind of alluded to a couple times in in our podcasts, right? But, like, Mando's armor is a lot more impenetrable than these other Mandos, right? Because, like, it seems like even though, you know, she did take a number of hits, she she went down. Like, she she got enough to go down. And I feel like Mando's armor, like, the, the... the blast like, he definitely yeah he definitely like as if you got shot with a bulletproof vest on you definitely feel it and you would like keel over but you wouldn't go down to the ground where she right. went like a sack of potatoes down it could be like a an issue of like her armor is just very old and it's not as like i, I guess think it's also something of like the yeah what percentage of best car is the metal is it pure is it mixed do you have Beskar on every single plate? Yeah, I mean, she didn't explain what her armor was, and it's kind of hard to tell because it's spray painted. But yeah, I thought she was for sure dead. So then seeing her standing up in the background at the end of the episode, it's like, wait, are you back? <laughs> no, I don't think she, he he hit every all of the single like plates of Beskar steel that she had on. Yeah, and I didn't think they were Beskar. I thought they were the similar type of armor that Mando wore or Din wore in the beginning no. of season one. 
No, it's definitely best car. Because that, that's the thing. Like, even in the episode she was in earlier this season, she said this armor has been in my family for generations. So it, it's passed down. Mm. It's actual best car. It's just that I think that there's probably a difference between best car that's been worn over generations and best car that you literally just got off the shelf. <laughs> um, you know, freshly this forged. Uh, right, freshly forged. He owes the armor big time because, like, yeah, <laughs> she saved him so many times. She basically gave him, like, everything he needed. Even his jetpack is Beskar. And I'm kind of like, all right, well, he doesn't have the same problem that the Mandalorians from Clone Wars or Rebels had. Well, you just hack their jetpacks and they go flying and blow up. What about the X-Wing arriving? I thought that was a really fun way to twist expectations with reality. I was so excited to see that. I was like, Trapper Wolf is coming in. I thought Trapper Wolf for, like, I thought Trapper Wolf for, like, until they said... Wait, it's just one X-Wing. Because up until then, I'm like, oh, man, the, the Rebellion's here. They're going to back them up. They caught reinforcements. Like, Cara Dune brought these guys to the party like we were thinking. And then they were going to, like, pull off this flanking maneuver. But then it was like, wait, there's only one? Okay, well, if it's only one, we only know one person that flies an X-Wing. Yeah, so, immediately, like, Luke. But how sick would it have been if the guy is still wearing his black robes and everything, and he takes off the hood, and it's been Trapper Wolf this whole Trapper time? Trapper Wolf was a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, it's Dave Filoni, and he puts on his hat, cowboy hat right after. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like that. I think that's a great, uh, you know, point at their directing choices, where all season long and all series long, they've been showing us X wings every once in a while, and it's been. Dave Filoni and his crew or um, some other people every once in a while but it's always been the rebellion so getting a x-wing like a, a vintage looking x-wing to show up it sets that expectation that it's not Luke as opposed to being like if we had never seen an x-wing once this whole series and then we get it this one time then it's too obvious yeah I think it was it was obvious for me that it was Luke the minute that they pointed out that it's just one single right. x-wing Right. And I was like, okay. But then again, I was still like, maybe it's Ezra. Maybe Ezra's flying the next wing now. I did hold out hope until he removed his hood, uses a green lightsaber as well. So it was possible. Nah, what what cemented it for me was the shot of the glove, the glove oh, hand. Once yes, once I saw the glove, I kind of stopped holding out hope. But yeah, no, I liked seeing him again. I I was very excited when I saw the X-Wing and when I saw him taking down this battalion of dark troopers, uh, I didn't think the CGI looked bad. I think the abilities have actually come a long way since, I mean, you and I were talking about this offline since seeing Leia in rogue one, something seemed off a little bit there, but now it seems like this is exactly what they wanted it to look like. Right. Not be exactly Mark Hamill, but be like an evolution of Mark Hamill kind of. Yeah, I, br- I brought this up to you offline too, but like I th- I was expecting, you know, the, the the nerd in me was like, oh my god, here comes Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. <laughs> um, it wasn't quite that, but like I do think his face looks like a blend of young Mark Hamill and some other actor. Um, whether that was deliberate or not, I don't know, because like they they went out of their way to to put uh, uh Peter Cushing's face uh as who played Tarkin. And and like literally replaced the the host actor's um, face for that scene in Rogue One, right? Uh, and for this one, they didn't do that. They really went with like a blend, and so it it kind of has me thinking that their intention is to get another actor to play young Luke in the future. But this was their way of kind of 
getting Mark Hamill back into play. Because if you notice, he's credited in the credits of this episode. Um, so th- it's it's their way to kind of like say goodbye to that era of Luke, but also introduce audiences to potentially different looking young Luke Skywalker. Yeah, did he voice him? Or I don't know. There's no distinction in the credits. Mm-hmm. It just that says would be like, interesting to find out. Has it. Yeah, I would like to find that out. Yeah, I, I'll, hopefully we, we get a little bit more on it. Usually IMDb starts updating their stuff after a couple of days after the episode airs so that we can see the full list of it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it it's going it, like whatever they did for this worked for me. I did think it looked a little off, but I think the only reason why I thought that is because the model wasn't blinking a lot. And anytime you get a CG model that doesn't blink, I'm always like, oh, it's CG. I think it's also like exposure. You know, it, like I said offline, it's we knew what young Leia looked like and we knew that she was old now. Whereas if you were coming in fresh eyes and just watching this, like from start to finish, you would almost think like, oh, they the actor just went from one project to the other. Yeah. Granted. The original trilogy looks much older than everything else, but you would still think like that's the same guy. So, the, before we get onto the Grogu stuff on the bridge, the sequence of Luke coming in and, and destroying the um, Dark Troopers, did that? I really liked that sequence. I had no problem with Luke being, you know, very like powerful in the scene he's supposed to be for this time timeline uh did you have any reservations towards this or did you think that maybe there was something a bit off about the scene that you maybe didn't like no i mean to me it makes sense because it's five six years after jedi so he would have continued his training and also i guess he would have been training leia so he would have been getting better during that time too so i understand and accept him as a very strong Jedi in the galaxy. But I can see the counterpoint of being like, this is like Justice League where Superman comes in and beats Steppenwolf and beats up the whole army and saves an entire building of people uh, while Mando and his crew are locked up in the bridge. So I can see the counter argument, but I also... I also accept that he's grown as a Jedi. He also didn't take them all on at once. It seemed like their fighting style was not that great. They were walking in, you know, an orderly two by two. Some of them went back to the hangar to fight the X-Wing. Some stayed, so they already split up in half. So I'm okay with how he got through them. Like, if they sent everybody at once and they all fired at him once and he blocked it all, okay, then I'll be upset. But it was like strategic in the fighting style. Yeah, I felt like it didn't go like really, really far in terms of exhibiting how uber, uber powerful Luke would be. I think it kind of goes without saying that he would be probably the strongest Jedi around this time, including Ahsoka, Ezra, and anybody else. But just because of the fact that he's a Skywalker and you have that natural talent kind of thing. Plus, this is the one guy that's been trained by uh, Obi-Wan and by Yoda, even Force Ghost-wise, right? You got to think that... Yeah. He kind of kept their tra- training, especially after, as these guys start being available, um, at, you know, from the netherworld, nether realm of the Force. So I buy the fact that he's strong and powerful and, you know, close to unstoppable. Because it also, like, when you see 
I think when Moff Gideon starts realizing who it is, because this guy knows, right? This, this guy's in the know of a lot of things. He's Imperial Intelligence, so I, I'm 100% sure he knew about Luke Skywalker because he had this, like, fear, fearful look in his eye, and it completely drove him to try to commit suicide in that scene. Um, But did, did you notice that? Like, he was kind of, like, quivering as he started realizing that his invincible droids were getting torn apart yeah definitely um he was he was definitely nervous for for what was coming at him i gotta think at this stage the empire kind of knows luke as the guy who took down vader and the emperor but they don't have the full context of what happened during that scene so they gotta be fearful of him and i think he knows it's luke because Yes, you're right. He associates like Death Star one and two being taken down by a Jedi, but he also is like the guy who knows everything self-acclaimed. So I'm sure he knows like just the look of him. But yeah, let's let's keep moving because I feel like we're running a little low on time here. Uh, the emotional goodbye between Mando and Grogu was nice to see um, that Mando like had been talking himself into this moment for a few episodes now. So it finally came to fruition where he had to let him go and i like that uh, luke was like yeah he just needs your permission to leave like that's what he's looking for he needs his permission slip signed sir (laughs) sign him away (laughs) what about the r2d2 conversation this was the thing i was talking about earlier that i felt like this went a little bit too long yeah i didn't really feel like it went on all that long every time r2 comes into the scene i always feel like he's going to be played for like a cutesy like scene so it's a lot guess, of beeping though. Yeah. <laughs> it it did it did hover a little bit too um too much. A little bit, but he ended up go, Grogu ended up going with Luke. Got a few goodbyes. Uh Mando reveals his face again. Sorry, Din reveals his face again. Um so now the the short list has been IG88, Bill Burr and Grogu have seen his face. <laughs> and and Luke IG-11. 11? What did I say? 88? 88. Well, he's eight times better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I like that. And then the the first thing I noticed once the credits roll is the lack of like the artist designs of the scenes that we usually would get. Also, the music, though. had like the whole scores had changed completely from being like the woodwind type mandalorian theme to being like an orchestral yeah it was very similar to the way they ended the last season too yeah i like the artwork yeah me too actually i didn't tell you this but like i got the concept art for the mandalorian season one the book and it's full of all these like really cool looking art pieces but it's kind of cool to see what they planned to make uh, i feel like you're gonna be the guy who rips them out and like frames them and puts them up as (laughs) art no (laughs) I'm the guy that buys separate a separate book for that. <laughs> a second book to do that. Keep the first one intact. <laughs> one to keep mint in box and then one to display. How about the post credits for all the fans that stayed online and didn't log off early? The return oh, of Bib Fortuna. Yeah, I stayed on because I noticed the cre- at the credits. There was a lot of time left for credits. Yeah. I was like, there has to be something here. <laughs> it was like seven minutes, and I was like, Jesus, okay. Bib is the, just for those who don't know, he's like the guy who has, um, what is, he, is he like a Twi'lek? Yeah, he's, he's, 
He's a Twi'lek. He's like the guy that translated for Jabba for the most part. Yeah, so he's best known from being like accepting R2 and C3PO in Return of the Jedi in Jabba's palace and then getting like mind tricked where Jabba was like, you weak minded fool kind of thing. Um, so it seems like he took over uh, after Jabba's death. Yeah, he basically got a promotion by just being himself and staying there. <laughs> and then he got got. <laughs> Boba Fett I... comes in, shoots everybody in the place, frees the slave girls, and then takes a seat in Jabba's throne and just is chilling. <laughs> that was a little cheesy, but I also kind of liked it because like, it's, it's literally Boba concept fan art come to life of him sitting on Jabba's throne, basically. Yeah, I just feel like it's a weird place to settle down. Like, you have bad memories of this place, and you also were, like, stuck on this planet for a long time. Don't you want to go somewhere that's not a desert with two suns? Well, he's taking Jabba's um, empire then, right? Because, like, at, that, at this point in the timeline, Jabba would have been the one to control the hut space. So he was, like, basically the leader of the biggest crime syndicate in the galaxy. So is he positioning himself as the new leader of, of the HUD clan? Possibly. And who knows what they're going to do with his series, but that's where they announced that they'll do the book of Boba coming out in December, 2021. Um, yeah, maybe I, where do you think they're going to go with that? Do you think it's going to be a continuation of where they're, where he ends this season? Or do you think it's going to be like him surviving the Sarlacc pit and what he did until he found Din? So I think I think they're gonna do a mix of being a prequel to this to 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 his time on on Mandalorian and also a sequel, just because of the way that they they named it the Book of Boba. So in lieu of like a book kind of style, like you could probably do a um, anthology kind of story where you'll focus on a couple maybe a couple episodes cover like his younger years, a couple cover his present time, that kind of thing. Mm. I think that's what, where, the, where they'll go with it, and I think we'll probably it'll be very like pirate heavy. Maybe we'll see Hondo and Naka come back. Hondo, and then what was the female bounty hunter? She Which was, like, one? Bald, bald with like, or not bald. She had like one big ponytail. She had like a red stripe on her head. Oh, she's been she's been seen like a couple times. She was in. She's dead. Phantom Menace. And then, uh, what's his name from Solo killed her? Yeah. Uh, uh, so we wouldn't see her. Woody Harrelson. If, if you were doing like early life of Boba, she would have been there because she was in there for, um, for the Clone Wars series. You'd have to get like Kid Boba when she would get killed. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, Singh was her name. Yeah, the girl with the antenna on her head. That's, <laughs> that's how I remember her. I thought that was a backpack. No, it's an antenna. It literally comes out of her skull. Oh, it does. You're right. Really weird design. I would love to see uh, working some other bounty hunters. Yeah, I, I hope we get some of that. Like, I'm trying to remember some of the bounty hunter names, like Bosk, IG88. Bosk would be cool. From what I've heard, this is going to be a limited series, so I think it's going to be like a one-and-done kind of deal. Well, one thing, you know, the once the Ahsoka series got name-dropped or, or announced... We didn't get any more follow-up on Thrawn in this episode, or or like any indication as to what the next big bad is going to be for Mando. Right. 
So, but in 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 lieu of that, Ahsoka's logo, the the, the one for the show, uh, seems to include the um, world between worlds design mm-hmm. from Rebels and from Clone Wars. I I I I would think that there's some level of Mortis coming back to kind of be fleshed out in that show. And yeah, I think for those who don't know what that is, so Mortis was like the planet of good and evil. Basically, it's like just the representation of good and evil, but it's also there's a father who's in between his son and daughter, son being the evil side and daughter being the good side. Um, And there's a feature arc of that, both in Clone Wars and Rebels. And then the world between worlds is basically like a way to time travel almost. Yeah, so it, I think it's was described as like a a portal where time doesn't really exist in there, but you can kind of glimpse into different sections of of time. Yeah, it was very like Tesseract 4D looking. Yeah, yeah, and I, I but I think that's like something that was left very like open ended that they were definitely intending to pick back up on. So I, I'm guessing Ahsoka is when they're gonna tackle that on. Yeah, and it's tied to Ahsoka because. It's kind of hard to tell. It's almost like a chicken or the egg. What came first? Like, did like basically her association to it is that in Rebels she had a fight with Vader and she might have died during that fight, but then Ezra goes to the world between worlds and pulls her out of that fight, so we know she lives on later. Um, so it's kind of tough to tell if like she would have survived that fight or had died in that fight and then survived later on. It's very messy because it's time travel and all that and definitely not worth for this podcast. But yeah, it would be interesting to see where that series plays into. Yeah. I, I think they're all going to tie out to some sort of like mega event at some point, but yeah, I don't, I, I feel like I'm, I'm excited for this Boba show only because like we always keep hearing that Boba's such a um really, really cool character. He has all these like, really cool experiences in, in the comics and the books, the video games. We never get to see that in live action. We got a taste of it this season. So I hope they do justice to him and continue to flesh him out. I don't know what to expect though. Like I, I just, I'm because of the stuff that they showed us this season. I'm interested. Yeah. I'm going to open a book to it. I don't really care if they go young life, like a solo Han Solo movie, or if they go continuation of this in order to tie it to Mandalorian season three, I'm okay with either. Yeah. What What do you think about um, season three for Mandalorian? Like, where do you think we're going to go for that? I'm still on the train of him returning to Mandalore to free it from the empire. I think it makes sense. He's there with the dark saber. I think he's going to keep ownership of it. There might be a little bit of a power struggle with Bo-Katan, where maybe she's like trying to handle the politics of it, like gaining the planet back from from the Empire. But I think ultimately people will want to follow Din. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think this is very much going to turn into like a Mandalorian Civil War kind of focused show. I would um, love that. Not yeah, me for too. fighting, but but uh, just because like those were always interesting arcs in Clone Wars and Rebels. It's definitely a time for Civil Wars. (laughs) (laughs) So might as well with Star Wars. Might as well. (laughs) But I do like that it's open-ended. Like, Grogu's gone. 
and I'm glad that we kind of sever the tie in a very fulfilling way that it doesn't feel like we're going to miss him terribly. Like he's off with Luke. I know I can be happy about that. I would love to like have check-ins to see like what goes on. Cause I want to find out how Grogu escapes or gets out of Luke's training facility when Ben Solo goes crazy. But, um, that's definitely like that's something right. else to get teased out. That's right. My poor guy survived Order 66 only to get killed by Ben. If one Skywalker can't do it, a second will. <laughs> <laughs> Technically I, the third. <laughs> I don't think this is the last we've seen of him. I think we're, we'll see Grogu come back. And I do think that we're, he probably won't be at the temple by the time that the Kylo Ren stuff happens for the sequel trilogy. Uh, yeah, what, I think what? he sold too many toys to not be seen again. Yeah, and the one thing to note, and this is I wasn't aware of this until... Um, I was actually listening to another podcast on somebody explaining like the the novels that took place for the sequel trilogy, but apparently the betrayal of Kylo to Luke took place like three years before Force Awakens. So, in relation to this show, yeah. So, in relation to this show, we're very very far away from when that betrayal happens. How far though? Like twelve years? No, like. 20 plus so we're six years out yeah i thought there was only like 20 years between the two between return of the jedi and, and force awakens yeah how far That's is like, it it's 35 years but we we have um i i feel like there's there's a lot of area to explore here and i'm i'm, I'm kind of I, I definitely think you're, you're right from the merch level he sells a lot of toys so they'll probably won't kill him off for for any time soon but um it makes me speculate a lot and we can get into this in another show but i feel like there's so many areas where I feel this is going to go into. Um, but this show, I think to kind of wrap up my thoughts on it, like it's been a really good season two. I, I like, I really, really like season one. I think I really, really love season two. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I think season one was amazing. It was, you know, theatrically stunning. And then it had a great plot. But it's so crazy that they were able to top that with this season. And we knew nothing about plot details or anything going into it. So Yeah, they're starting with nothing. And then they're creating this universe around Mando, which I think was great. I mean, yeah, there were filler episodes here and there, but I'm okay with those. They added to everything. I mean, yes, I would have loved the Frog Lady episode back. Or maybe yeah. take 15 minutes off that and give it five minutes to like the last three episodes here. Yes, that is one thing aside. But as a whole, I think this episode, this season definitely top season one, but not taking anything away from season one. Yeah, one thing I hope they change for the next season is just consistency, because I hope I think 45 minutes to 47 minutes is a great time to to kind of aim for to have each episode be about that 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 time frame. Um, I just want consistency, man. Like, I don't like that some episodes are like 22 minutes and others are like 47 or, you know, pick your, pick your take, you know? Yeah, but you want consistency where they're like 45. You don't want consistency where they're 32. <laughs> well, it just makes more, I, I feel like it makes more sense because then you also have like better. No, I'm there with you. I want it to be more consistent. But I also don't want it to be consistent where they go, fine, we'll give you 30-minute episodes. Oh, yeah, no, no. I, I want consistency and timing, but, like, make it a decent length. Like, I'm not even asking for an hour. Just, like, give us 47 minutes. Part of me 
actually kind of enjoys the excitement of being like, ooh, what's this episode going to be? Like, But I only want them to go up. So I feel like I want it to be a baseline of 40-minute episodes. And then right. the occasional sprinkling in of like, ooh, this one got to be an hour. And I don't think I would look at those as like the hour being the norm and being like, oh, man, some of these were only 40 minutes long. I think I would be like 40 minutes feels right for this genre. It's definitely my only complaint, <laughs> you know, and I, and I think that the more and more I kind of think about about it, I feel like it's not that big. It's more of a nitpick, I think, on my end, because they really utilize the time really well for these episodes. Um, the Frog Lady episode, obviously, being the one that kind of stands out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even then, I feel like we got the fleshing out of Trapper Wolf and his partner to kind of give us more of a how do you say, I guess not to get, not to make it overly obvious that Luke was the rescue in, in this, in this episode. So it did something. Yeah, it definitely did something. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, I don't know. We could have found five minutes, like 10, 15 minutes there. No, I agree. Yeah. We, we could have blended this episode into two and the, the two other ones since episode one and episode three, but you know, either way, it's still More nitpicking. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's more of a nitpick than it is a complaint um i'm excited though i'm i don't i I have no idea where they're gonna go with it i have my theories but i don't think that any of them are kind of backed up by any credible thing right now but yeah like mace windu and jar jar binks coming back i'm so disappointed that didn't happen (laughs) i I wanted i thought they'd be answering the call yeah mace would show up you know it'd be (laughs) samuel l jackson all disheveled missing an eye maybe like definitely his hand and like the yeah. head of Jar Jar is guiding him through the hallways and telling him, "You have to go this way," you know, or something like that. And like that really would have been Bill the voice. Yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't have a lightsaber anymore. It's like a, it, it's a um amber, um what you call it, axe. We should and do a whole episode on like the craziest conspiracy theories of Star Wars. We should. It should be. Let us know it like in tweets or Instagram or email or whatever. If you if you would actually listen to that, but uh, that'd be a fun one, I think. Yeah, I'm excited though. I, I feel th- I I love this season. I I thought everything was really great. This episode, I'm gonna be talking about this episode for a long time. I'm uh, definitely gonna rewatch it tomorrow, and I definitely agree that like this is re- like you're gonna remember this one. And I also am like walking away from it being like I'm comfortable with this season finale. There's enough of a cliffhanger to be like, what's gonna be season three about? But it's not so much where I'm like, I have to wait a full year to know what happens to Grogu next. Like, it's not like it was left in a crazy cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting here waiting for my life size Grogu to ship out from uh, from Sideshow. So, you know, he'll keep me company until season three. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's good for this episode. Any uh, any other things you want to talk about from it or for future episodes? No, I, th- I think we're, you know, I'm very excited for, for the future of Star Wars. I think for, for the first time since, yeah, since like, I don't since know, a while. Force Awakens. I was excited <laughs> and then I was let down at Last Jedi. Well, I, I thought about a lot of uh, what we, we, we always have the conversation, or I think I sparked up a conversation offline a little bit ago where I said, you know, what is it about Last Jedi that you didn't really like and kind of soured you completely? Because I know both of us, while we enjoyed Rise of Skywalker, we also didn't think it was like the best thing to kind of come out. But yeah. 
the more I think about it, it's like these this show has rejuvenated my enjoyment of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, 100% agree. And I think it's because it understands that Star Wars, aside from being like it's Star Wars, isn't a political thriller. It's not. It's it's modern day mythology, and it's supposed to be balanced out with messages of hope, you know. And and you can still have your little gray area to kind of work in real world things into it, but you it doesn't. You can't have it be muddled because then it's not a myth anymore. And uh, yeah, a hundred percent agree with all that. And on top of that, it recognized that there is a lot of canon out there where you can pick different characters. You don't have to always put Palpatine on screen. Granted, yes, I understand they did put Luke Skywalker on this one as a bit of fanfare, but that was like but five it makes minutes sense. of one episode. Like, yeah, and it made sense with the timeline. So but being able to be like, let's pull Bo-Katan out from Clone Wars, who only got a little bit of a couple arcs let's pull ahsoka into this you know like pull boba fett in who only had six minutes of screen time in the original trilogy that's what this show did it showed like you don't need you know a crazy amount of literature or comic books to pick and choose from you can look at episodes that were already done and pick characters that screen test well or would just be interesting to learn more about yeah i feel like everything that was added to the Star Wars lore from the show felt like it was very naturally form fitting into it. And then everything that they brought back in was like stuff that you're like, Oh, I didn't know. I wanted to know about more about this character, or I didn't know that this particular subject was this interesting, you know? So I like that. I like that. It understands it. And for the first time, I, I, I gotta say that, you know, I I'm viewing Star Wars in the same way I was viewing Marvel for a couple of years. Yeah, I am too. I completely agree. I don't know what's coming, but I'm excited. I, I I definitely can't wait. Yeah. Well, I know this was a little bit longer for, for the listeners out there, so we appreciate you guys sticking with us on this one. Uh, we are both pretty excited with the finale here. So if you think we missed anything, which I'm sure we did, or you think we've got anything wrong or want to talk more about anything, feel free to hit us up on email, behind the fourth wall podcast at Gmail, fourth being the number. Um, or hit us up on Twitter at BT fourth wall again, four being four TH. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you and we we're going to explore some other shows and some other movies in the coming weeks. What's Thanks for listening. <laughs> What's on the schedule. Yeah. Um, we're talking wonder woman one in prep for wonder woman two for Christmas day. So you might get a bonus episode middle of next week. And then we got WandaVision. Uh, uh, series coming up. We got a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they released the whole slate. We got a we got a bunch we can we can dive into. But that yeah, that too. If you if there's shows or movies that you would want to hear talk about, oh, we're also in the talks of doing like spotlight characters, um, like shining a spotlight on certain characters from Marvel as opposed to doing the entire movies. Um, so yeah, we got we got some fun fun ideas coming down the pipeline yeah send us an email let us know your thoughts i take passenger pigeon as well if you just direct one to a story in new york i'll find them i'll get the message but thanks for listening thanks for listening